Hey, this is Bill Dwyer. Hanging on to my Hollywood dream by my fingernails. I sing the truth, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. IPF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Kate Quigley. Eric Griffin one night, who I love, he was like, yo, if you're going to do this, you need to put your money where your mouth is and you need to go on stage in a bikini. Like, you need to, like, do it. You can't just talk about it. And I was like, you're right, I should do that. We hear more from Kate in just a bit. We have the song of the week from Book of Love. And as always, to start us off, a dumb bit. Time for another installment of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. So as usual with Facebook, not Factbook, we have a meme that has uh, turned up, and it's a high school friend of mine uh, posted this meme of Ronald Reagan, and it says, I'll read it to you, it's a picture of Reagan at a podium. It's not from the actual speech he gave, it's a picture of him in front of a podium, but it says, I do not believe in taking away the right of the citizen for sporting, for hunting, and so forth or for home defense, but I do believe that an AK-47, a machine gun, is not a sporting weapon or needed for defense of a home. Uh, Ronald Reagan, February 6, 1989, sure if you agree, and it uh, was originally posted by a group called demandaplan.org. Well, of course, another guy we went to high school with chimed in, and this is a guy that I've actually since uh, uh, unfriended on Facebook because, well, he's pretty much of a racist. And uh, so he chimes in with, uh, uh, Reagan never said that, that was something uh, Obongo said, you can see why I unfriended him. Uh, something Obongo said, and it was uh, accredited to Reagan. Well, you know what I'm going to do now, don't you? I do not believe in taking away the right of the citizen to own guns for sporting, for hunting and so forth, or for home defense. But I do believe that an AK-47, a machine gun, is not a sporting weapon or needed for defense of the home. So right under his comment about Obama said it, I you know put this link and I wrote all in caps, look, he said it, he really said it, listen, he actually said it. And uh, he comes back with, oh, well, he didn't say it while he was in office, so I don't, I don't uh, care about what presidents say once they're out of office. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think you can say that because, first of all, he's still the conservative hero. Everything he said is handed down from the heavens and is taken as almost biblical. And, you know, it, it, he still said it, and he's still, you know, Ronald Reagan. So crazy. And the other thing that's weird, well, I'll, before I get to my other point here, uh, he also said this. California has a system, unlike that of many other uh, states, in which when you go in to buy a gun, um, you put down your money and you buy the gun, but you don't get to pick up the gun uh, for several days because investigation is then made to make sure that you're not a felon, that you don't have a record of bad conduct or that you are mental illness or anything, and then you can come back and get your gun. And nobody has a problem with that. And that answer is in response to a question by a college student, by the way, who asks uh, if there's a way to restrict guns because this happened after uh, an incident in Stockton, California, involving firearms, a, a tragedy there. And the student asks, you know, is there a way that we can restrict guns but not take them away from people like hunters who actually help the environment because they care about the environment and have a legitimate use to use rifles uh, as hunting you know, weapons and things like that. And that's why Reagan gives uh, the, these two things, these two answers I just played for you. And it's really weird that, you know, when, when clips like this are dug up is that people on the right won't ever say, oh, well, Reagan was wrong because you can't say that. 
Whereas we have a lot of problems now, you know, as we get further away from the Clinton administration, as much as we liked Bill Clinton, you know, uh, the big one that always comes to mind is, you know, he uh, reversed Glass-Steagall, the Glass-Steagall Act, and let Wall Street run amok. And people look back and go, he should have done that. Uh, welfare reform, uh, badly played. It turns out it wasn't as good an idea as, uh, you know, it was at the time. And even Obama and has done some things that we're not very happy with. And in fairness, uh, the right d- does criticize W mostly for going into Iraq. I think they finally realize there's just no way you can say that was a good idea, although some still do cling to it. But uh, yeah, it's just, just very strange. But uh, as always, just another example of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Kay Quigley is an actress, comedian, and TV host, most widely recognized as the host of Undercover on the Playboy Channel. She's currently touring the country headlining comedy clubs, and here now is her interview with Kay Quigley. Okay, well, great. Um, so, uh, gosh, let's start from the beginning, because you're... Uh uh, kind of, uh, kind of a, uh, a a jack or shall we say a Jill of all trades? Uh, wh- what do you consider yourself? Uh, as they say, a TV presenter, as they say in Britain, a comedian, actress. I mean, you've done all of it. <laughs> I think of myself as a comic first, but that's probably just because comedy is is what I'm most passionate about and my favorite part of the job. Um, that being said, I definitely work the most as a TV host, because I, I host a show on Playboy TV. Um, I host the AVN Awards this year. So I do both. I act as well, but that, that definitely is the thing I do the least, although I really enjoy that a lot as well. Okay, so what what started it all? Were you, uh, you went to college, of course. Um, what, what did I did, you, but did... I, always wanted to, I always wanted to act growing up when I was a kid. Um, my mom ran a daycare center, and I used to, like, put all the kids in the daycare center into scenes and, like, make them act things out with me. So from when I was really young, I always wanted to act. I always wanted to work on TV. Um, but it's funny because I liked hosting, too. Even when I was a kid, like, I used to watch the show Double Dare on Nickelodeon, and then I would, like, reenact it and pretend I was Mark Summers, and I would, like, host the show. <laughs> so... That kind of got me, I mean, as a kid, I did that, and I did theater, I did plays, and then, yeah, when I went to college, um, I really wanted to move to L.A., and I couldn't afford it, and I got a scholarship to a theater school in Chicago, so I moved to Chicago first, and that's where I, I went to school, and I went to acting. I got a degree in acting, actually. Okay, and uh, I, I understand somewhere along the way from watching your stand-up, you, you got married. Oh, yeah. I got married when I was 19. So that was part of it, too, was that um, I got married when I was 19 to a guy that I dated, you know, like my senior year of high school. Not really a high school sweetheart. We started dating right at the end of my senior year. We only dated a year. We got married. He moved with me to Chicago, and we stayed married for 10, 10 and a half years. 
So that's really like what the bulk of my material is about because that's what my life is about. It's kind of like starting over life at like 30, but I never really, I was so codependent. I was so used to having someone to like help me with everything. I really didn't start learning how to be a grown up until I was 30, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. And yeah, tell me about it. I never even did laundry. I mean, this makes me sound like a princess, but I wasn't, but I just was married to this guy that like did it all. Like he just like did everything. So I never even did laundry until I was like 30. I had to learn how to do laundry. Like it was crazy. So what, do you guys just drift apart? Are you guys still friends? I mean, how, what happened? We're totally still, we're totally still friends. We were just so young, you know, when you get together at that age and we, our interests grew apart. I wanted to be in LA. He really wanted to be more in New York and, you know, I wanted to act and he was a little more about like, uh, making money. And so we just, cause you know, you can't be in this business if your goal is money. I mean, yeah. people that get rich are just lucky in this business, I think. But I like I work full time as a comic, and I have a TV show, and I'm not even like remotely wealthy at all. So <laughs> I think that uh, that was part of it. But we're still cool. Like we talk. I just talked to him on his birthday a couple weeks ago, and we're friendly. There's no crazy. That's the weird thing about our divorce that almost made it harder. Is nothing crazy happened. Like there's no cheating or scandal. We just were like, this isn't really working, and that was it. And so, uh, how's things going uh, since then? I mean, as far as, you know, getting your life, uh, like you said, starting over, how's that gone? It was a really hard process. It's been about <clears throat> four years. So, the first year, I really just, I was one of those people that um, I dealt with it by making it look like everything was great. Like, I tried to seem so unaffected, so I would go out and just, like, party like crazy, do stand-up every night. Like, I... I pretty much, if you looked at my Facebook, people were probably like, wow, she got a divorce and really doesn't care. Because I, like, went so far the other way. And I didn't really deal with it for, like, a year. And then after about a year, I finally, it really hit me. Like, oh, this is real. Like, I think I was in denial. Um, and then I started dealing with it. And that's when, like, the really raw material started to come out, too, though, like, comedy-wise. Just because... You know, comedy comes from when you deal with, like, the hardest things, I think, and, like, the most painful things in life is sometimes where you find the funniest material. Like, me starting over dating and learning how to live alone and pay bills and, like, um, and especially doing it in L.A., it's, it's like, literally, like, learning in the lion's den. I feel like it's like a baby cheating on barbed wire. Like, it's the worst possible scenario. And... It's okay. I'm doing, I'm doing okay. As good as anybody. I mean, I'm in therapy. So I'm fine. Huh. Um, so when did you start doing stand-up? When did that come into the mix? I started doing stand-up back in 2006 when I, um, moved to LA. I moved to LA in 06. I was doing improv in Chicago. I always enjoyed improv, but I always, I always felt like I wanted to control more. Like I wanted to control like where the jokes were and what, what was happening on stage, like everything. And so when I moved to LA, I was like, I'm going to try stand up. And I actually took a class. There's a place called Acme School of Comedy. Yeah. Um, the girl that taught the class is one of my best, best friends now, Jody Miller. She's a, a hilarious comedian. I've heard of her. She taught the class. You know her? I've heard, I think I might have interviewed her somewhere along the way. This sounds familiar. Probably. Yeah. 
she's been on lots of stuff. She's been on America's Got Talent, Chelsea, and uh, yeah. But so she she taught the class, and they basically it's like a six week class. They, she just kind of helps you like write a six minute set, and then there's a showcase at the end, you know, and then a bunch of people book you on bringer shows. We call it yep. where you have to yep. like, make all your poor friends I've, pay to come see you so you can get stage time. I've done that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's uh. That's how it started, but then I never say I've been doing stand-up for eight years or whatever that would be because I really did it for about two years as, like, a hobby. You know, I kind of do it, but not... I feel like when people who get on stage, like, once a week or once a month, that's not really... That's not really... You'll never learn to be a comic like that, I think. So I did that for a while, and then I went away. And I, uh, I booked a gig where I was emceeing events on the road. So I traveled for like three years, emceeing events for like Sports Illustrated, NASCAR. And, um, that's really where I got my stage legs because I was always up talking to crowds. I wasn't telling jokes, but I was just having to be engaging with the audience for hours every day. And then I came back to LA and I started doing comedy again and my comedy was stronger because I just had that confidence of being, you know, yeah. on stage without a script, I think. So I don't know, but that's it. So I, I, that was like three and a half, four years. I mean, that was right around the time of my divorce. I really, really like started hitting the pavement hard again doing stand up. So it's been about four years now. So in your stand-up, there are a lot of people that do sketch and also do stand-up and gravitate towards stand-up. They say the same thing. They like the control of it and you don't have to rely on other people. But, are there times when you think of something that's funny where you think of, boy, this would probably would be make a much nicer sketch, you know, than it would just oh, a yeah. kind of story? All the time. All the time. But I work with a couple companies. Like, I work with this company, All Depth Digital, which is Russell Simmons' company. Um, and I do a lot of sketch stuff with them. And I also do a lot of, you know, hidden camera and, and prank videos with them. So... I'm fortunate in that I have some outlets when I come up with, like, a, a great sketch idea. Then I just go to them and we make it and we throw it up. And they have, like, a million subscribers or I'll go do it with Funny or Die. Like, okay. So I do I do sketches as well. I just pulled away from improv because I just found that, um, for me, like, I get more... I get more enjoyment out of the process of, like, writing it, working on it, write, rewriting it, working on it, than I do out of just going up and, like doing something different every time and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't like I really like the craft of stand-up more yeah well again it's a, it's a much more solitary exercise and uh, do you find that you're that you do markedly different things with your stand-up comedy versus the improv or is it just that you know some things just work better in a certain format I'm way different doing stand-up because the improv also like more characters you know okay, um, yeah I find myself in improv, like, always going into, like, southern accents or, like, black dudes. Like, I don't know why. Like, (laughs) that's what what seems to come out. Um, And stand-up, I mean, it is my stand-up persona. I always, like, I always tell guys I'm dating, like, to never come see me do stand-up because even though it's the same person, but it's, like, a heightened version of myself, I feel like my stand-up persona is slightly more, like, uh, edgy and a little more, like, risky gay than I am in real life. Like, I do a lot of material about, like, sex and hooking up and dating, and I do those things in real life, but I mean, on stage, it sounds like I'm hooking up all the time and, like, really out there dating a lot, and when in reality, I'd maybe go on, like, one date uh, every three weeks or something. Yeah. Like, I'm just too busy. So, I'm a little different off stage. 
Well, yeah, that's like with with a lot of people. You know, the stage persona is uh, usually heightened. Occasionally, it's dialed down for some people. But yeah, and it's just like with any entertainment yep. thing, you have to realize that oh yeah, that's just you know entertainment. Yeah, and some people are closer to themselves on stage than exactly. but it, than off. It is funny though because I'll have guys come see me perform, you know, and then they like assume so many things about me, and that's why it's really hard for me to date guys. Oh yeah, if they've seen me first before they get to know me, because they just like have me all wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's the opposite. It's or it's the same for any comedian. Or uh, maybe not so much for like musicians and actors because although some you know people sometimes confuse a character with an actual person maybe and they think like oh they're, this person is actually like this or they you feel like you know them and you really don't even though yeah seems more for important. sure I have actor friends like that who are like like I have one actor. I have a friend who's an actor who was uh, on a really big TV show and he played like a major douchebag and he's a really nice guy yeah and he can't. Like, girls will never, like, even give him a shot because they think he's a dick because <laughs> of the show. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, it's pretty funny. So how do you combat that, apart from telling people not to come see your stand? We you try to meet guys that maybe aren't even in related to the comedy industry or even outside of the industry completely? Or how do you... Or just you meet guys as you meet guys? Uh, it's funny. I don't meet... I meet guys a lot of times um, through friends or online, um... Actually, enough. Like, I really date a lot, a lot off of Twitter. Like, I'll have guys oh, wow. sometimes follow me on Twitter, and then I'll kind of start talking to them, and then eventually we'll meet up. Um, but I don't know. I mean, occasionally I've gone out with like an audience guy, and it just never seems to really work out. I'm yeah. usually the chaser, though. Like, I'm like the guy. Like, I always will meet a guy that's not into me at all and chase him. Like, that's huh. my mo. Huh. <laughs> Why well, I'm always single. Um, I think that's I don't know. I'm so single right now. I'm like dating a little bit, but I'm just, I'm in that. I go through phases where I'll either date a lot or I'll be so like career focused. I'll just not date at all. And I'll just be working constantly. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people do can identify with that, you know, chasing people and, you know, not getting any, uh, uh, you know, response in return. Hell, I'm married and I get that every day. <laughs> Right? It's the worst. And it's so funny, too, because people think, like, if you're an attractive girl, that there's just, like, so many guys coming at you. Like, I feel that guys do not... Guys are intimidated by dating comedians, first of all. Like, no guy wants a girl that's funnier than them. They don't. They also don't want you to go on stage usually and, like... Like, any guy I date is going to get talked about. Definitely. On stage, on my podcast. I have a whole podcast about bad dates and bad sex stories. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you're you're one of those guys that I go out with and we have a bad date or you do something dumb, I'm going to talk about it. Some guys don't (laughs) like that. (laughs) Now the pressure is on. (laughs) But I never give their names when I talk about them. I try to also point out the bright side of what they did. Like, you know, there was a lesson here. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Because uh, then you can, you know, it's like it's like looking at game film, kind of. Oh uh, yeah, it's great. And so, but does that does that help you then to like you know like as they say, learn from your mistakes and uh, you know avoid maybe a, a certain kind of situation the next time? I think it does. I actually think that my podcast has helped me a little bit make better decisions regarding dating because it's like therapy. I talk through everything and then I have, you know, friends on all the time and other comics that give me 
their their side of it. And a few times also it showed me that I was wrong. Like there's been a couple of times I told a story and the comics would be like, you're tripping. Like, what are you talking? He didn't do anything. What are you talking about? And then I'm like, oh, huh. And then I have to call the guy and apologize. And be like, it turns out I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Whoops. So... And so, speaking of, like, things that people might misperceive, and I was looking around at some of your, your bits, um, of course, one that comes up at the top of the YouTube channel is uh, Kay Quigley performs in a bikini, and as uh, George Costanza <laughs> says, with an unblemished record of heterosexuality, of course I'm going to click on that. And it was very funny, by the way. It wasn't just, you know, to delete. But was that just for that joke? I won't spoil it for people. Hey. They can look it up themselves, but... Oh, so how that happened, there's a little bit of a bad story behind that, but, I mean, the, the short version is just that I used to fitness model, and so when I first started doing stand-up, my social media was kind of weird because it was, like, half funny, half, like, sexy photos, and um, and I was still trying to kind of figure out how to, like, merge that. And yeah. it's so funny that we live in a world, by the way, where, like, we even have to worry about that, oh, especially yeah. female comedians. It's like, you can't be too attractive when you're a female comic, or people, because that's what was happening. People would come up to me and be like, hey, so... um you know, I don't get it. Are you trying to be hot? Are you trying to be funny? Like, you can't, like, what are you doing? Like, like male comics, like, really big comics I respect would, like, say things to me. And so I started to get kind of irritated because I'm like, why do you have to pick? Like, why do you have to choose? Yeah. So I started doing this funny thing where, as a joke, I kind of made fun of myself. I started wearing a bikini everywhere, like, everywhere. Like, I would show up for radio interviews in a bikini. I would go to the grocery store in a bikini, the bank, the DMV, and I would videotape and, and take photos. And it started to become kind of a, a thing I was picking up followers for because I was, like, the in a bikini girl. Like, I was always in a bikini. Right. And then Eric Griffin one night, who I love, who's oh, a yeah. hilarious comic on uh, Workaholics That's on right, Comedy yeah. Central, he... uh he was like, yo, if you're going to do this, you need to put your money where your mouth is and you need to go on stage in a bikini. Like, you need to, like, do it. You can't just talk about it. And I was like, you're right, I should do that. So I scheduled a show at Ontario Improv where we had, like, a pool party on stage before the show. And we, like, pulled up audience members. We, like, interviewed them in the pool. We made it, like, a pool theme so that there would be kind of, like, a reason to be up there in a bikini. And then I did my set in a bikini. I really just wanted to do it once to just be like, hey, you can do this and still be funny. Like, it doesn't matter if you're funny or funny. That's it. Yeah. And uh, it went fine. It went pretty well. I had a good set and I had fun doing it. And it was kind of freeing in a weird way. But it was one time only. People think I always am going to show up in a bikini. Yeah, no, I don't do it all the time now. It was just to make a point. Sure, sure. No, and it was uh, and uh, very good on you that your comedy overcame the, uh, well, let's just say the, um, the eye candy. Because, you know, it's... <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky, though, because, like, you know, my whole set leading up to that, I'm really self-deprecating on stage. And also, like, I really feel like um, my material, like, is more relatable to women. Because I am a woman, and most girls sure. come up to me after shows, and they're like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. And so by the time I, I got to that bit that you saw, which was, like, the end, like, the audience yeah. kind of already is with me because sure. they're like, oh, this poor loser can't do anything right, which is great. <laughs> yeah, and well, and and there's, you know, guys can probably recognize themselves in the situations because we are basically still idiots, but, you know, slowly over time, and I'm almost 50, so I've been at this a long time, you know, we have female friends, we know what it's like, we've been guys, and hopefully most of us have matured and realized, oh, shit, we were a bunch of dicks back then. <laughs> and so they can recognize that in your comedy, too, or they're making that realization as they're seeing you going, oh, huh. 
So, you know, comedy doing its job, I guess, you know, for social good. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, well, great. Um, I appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your schedule driving up there to San Jose and uh, and speaking with us, uh, Kate. And this will be in print and online in City Pages the week you're in Minneapolis. And then uh, the podcast will drop Sunday. And hopefully we'll get you here in Cincinnati sometime uh, in uh, at one of the comedy clubs here, in or out of a bikini. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I would love that. I'm from Ohio, so that would be a good oh, time. Oh, really? Where at? Hi, uh, I'm from Canton. Oh, no shit. I'm from uh, Mentor, you know, up by Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. Were you at the Cavs? Oh, my God. It's, I'm, I'm just still stunned that it happened. I know. It was so awesome. I was, like, telling everyone. I'm like, my stepdad. I can remember my stepdad being, like, miserable every weekend, like, all yes. summer. Like, the Indians were, yes. like, losing and the Browns were always losing. And now he's, like, so happy. Yeah. And again, <laughs> and again, I'm 50. I've been at this a long time, so... <laughs> oh yeah, Very that's happy. so funny. Well, uh, thanks for calling. It's great okay, to Kate. talk to you, and uh, I look forward to meeting you. Great, yeah, terrific. Me too. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Thanks again to Kate Quigley for being on the show. You can catch Kate at the House of Comedy in Minneapolis, July sixth through July tenth. Uh, we'll real quickly get through the credits right here. Of course, original music for PS Tape Recorder composed and performed by John Veropolis and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, Dan Coble designed our logo, and uh, you can like us on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at PF66, uh, email the show pfstaperecorder at gmail.com, all that fun stuff. And that takes us to the song of the week. Song of the week comes from uh, Friends of the Show, a book of love were on the show. Well, uh, Ted, the... Uh, uh, the the main I guess songwriting force uh, behind Book of Love. He was on uh, about two years ago uh, when they were first starting to uh, play shows again as a band, and they've released a 30th anniversary collection. I recommend you uh, check out this band. Although the 30th anniversary collection, boy, I wish they would have consulted me on the track listing here. Uh, I think you'd almost be better off going and just buying the first album, and uh, and then picking up some of the other ones, which are probably uh, you know a little more affordable on Amazon, as they say. But it's I mean it's a nice collection. What shocks me here is that, well, Boy is their most popular song. That's not a surprise, but their best song, in my opinion, is You Make Me Feel So Good, and that is not their most downloaded song. It's not even, it's probably like fourth or fifth, which is just weird. Anyway, on the uh, 30th anniversary compilation here, you do get two new tracks, and they decided to go with a single called All Girl Band, which is okay, so I'm going to call an audible and play you the other new song called Something Good, which is a much, much better song, I believe. And it is our song of the week. Do check out Book of Love. Check out the entire catalog, actually. Like I said, I'm sure you can pick up the whole thing. You know, now the CDs have gotten so cheap on Amazon, you could probably pick up uh, the back catalog uh, very affordably. Definitely recommend the first album. You could think this is a nice user-friendly collection, certainly, that, uh, you know, wouldn't do any harm having. But uh, And you get the two new tracks, of course, including this one, our song of the week, Something Good, Book of Love. So long and thanks for listening. I woke up today and it was gray. A melancholy day. Another day. All the nights and days I've spent with you are turning blue. Color me Yes, I would If I 
Sunny day 